0: time this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom i'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart they've got passion for god they're leading intercession on their schools they're set apart consecrated under god and they've got a vision and a mission for their life all right we are on day 19 of a 40-day fast and uh how many of you are staying strong staying strong all right, good. Yeah, there's, some of, there's so many fun stories. I, I don't have time to tell them, but there's a lot of fun things that people are fasting. Um, there's been so many uh, breakups. It's been awesome. And um, I'm so proud of you for those of you that broke up with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Aye, aye, way to go. And so um, I'm proud of you, those of you that are fasting, uh, different forms of media. I've heard some parents say that they've been so convicted by you. And I love those stories. So more power to God in you hope of glory. Hallelujah. All right. Uh, So keep up the good work. Well done. Well done. Well done. Let's pray together. Uh, Last week I talked about Noah and his 40 days and the 40 days of rain. Tonight I'm going to talk about the 40 days that Joshua and Caleb and the other 10 spies spent spying out the promised land. And so uh, let's pray together and then we're going to continue this series called 40. Father, we do love you. We thank you for what you're doing right here. God, we are content with nothing less, Lord God, than worshiping you with all that we have, praying with everything that we've got, being a people marked by fasting, the word of God alive in our heart, strategizing in order to reach the city, declaring the gospel fearlessly, planning well in order to fill the call of God on our lives. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, give us strength to continue to do that, not just in our high school days or our college days, but Lord God, for decades to come. When we're old and gray, may that be our story still. We love you and we honor you. Amen. Amen. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Last week we talked about Noah. Tonight we're going to talk about Caleb. Numbers chapter 13. We're starting verse 17. we got a lot of Bible to do so. Buckle up. Here we go. A lot of Bible tonight. When Moses, verse 17, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and go on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. So what's happening here is that Moses and the Israelites are in the wilderness. They want to take the promised land. And Moses sends out 12 spies, 12 people to go check out the land before he brings in all of these people. All right. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? And so what that means is, unwalled or fortified means in these days you would have uh, cities that were kind of successful and on the cutting edge would build huge walls and went all the way around. Most of us know that from Jericho, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Okay, so walls around the city, walls, you know, we know that there's walls falling down, but the story was because the walls kept people out. And so that was a part of the city. How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees or... Uh, on it or not. Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Verse 21. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob down to Libo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahimam, Sashi, and Tamali, Tal, Talmai, sorry, Talmai, the descendant of Anak lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zone in Egypt, where they reached the valley of Eshkel. Uh, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carry it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. So that means that the grapes were so big that it took two men, and we're not talking like Dave and Dan Perkin size men, like Jared Newman and Austin Brammer sized men, with you know, big old sorry Dan, with big old uh, pole with grapes. That's a, that's a big thing of grapes when it takes two men to carry one cluster of grapes. Are you with me? Okay. All right. Uh, at the end of 40 days, will you say 40? 40. Say 40. 40. Say 40. 40. Say 40 like you mean it. Say 40. 40. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So the spies actually left Moses, left their you know, wives and children, their families. They went into the land, 12 of them. They were there for 40 days. They're spying. They're trying to check out, can we take this land? Is it, for, is, the, is it fortified? Are the walls up? Is it easy to take it? Is it going to be hard to take it? Is it prosperous enough that we ought to take it now? What does it look like? All those questions. Then they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. All right, so that means it's got good stuff. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Parasites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And then Caleb, say Caleb. Caleb Caleb went to man time. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. Uh, so uh, to all the people, they sp- 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 these 10 spies, they sp- spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Like pushing five, seven. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. So in this story here, Moses sends 12 guys. 12 guys go into the land. They're spying out the land to see if we have the ammunition power, the people power. Can we go in and take out the land? 10 of them come back and say, no way, Jose, impossible. Uh uh-uh. uh. We looked like, we felt like before then. And to our own eyes, we felt like grasshoppers, meaning small. We cannot do it. It's impossible. There's no way. And the nature of their explanation was because of how big the enemy looked. They had walls set up and they were big people. We can't do it. Of course, we all know that the great testimony here is that for those 40 days, they're scouting out the land. And all of them are looking at the same thing. They're not seeing different things, they're together, it's the same 40 days, it's not two different troops, it's not three different times, it's not one guy went for one day, and then another guy went for another day, and they did a rotation, and and no, they all went together, they all looked at the same thing, and they came back with different reports. And so 10 of them come back, and they say, no way, can't do it. And these guys, these guys that were critical thinkers, strategic, you know, really looked, and took an accurate account. These are the ones that throughout history, people have wanted to name their children after. I mean, these were the great 10 spies that said too hard. Listen to these famous names that you're all familiar with. Shamua, Shaphat, Igle, Pulte, Gadiel, Gadai, the Jedi. Just kidding. Amiel. Sether. Nabi. Ghoul. Is anybody here named Shamua? We got one? You're Shamua? Oh, no. All right. But then there were two guys, two guys that acted encouraged. encouraged. They said, we can take the land. Most of us know their names, they're familiar to us because down now throughout the decades and throughout the generations, we have said we want to be like these men named Joshua and Caleb. Any Joshuas here? Anybody named Joshua? All right, there's a Joshua. Is there a Caleb here? All right, there's a Caleb. Is there some Caleb? All right, you're a girl. you Caleb? Oh, cool. That's great. All right. It's interesting when you look at God and how he rewards people. God likes courage. God, when he sees courage, he loves courage. He loves to reward courage. Because the essence of courage, people aren't born with courage. It's not like, hey, I was born with courage, you weren't born with courage, he was born with courage, she wasn't born with courage. That my brother was born with courage, the sister wasn't born. It's not courage isn't a, it's courage is a choice. So something that you're born with. And so God God seems to love, like reward, like delight in, like give great honor to, like really likes men and women that are courageous. And so he asked the question, why? What is it about courage that God likes so much? Because at the core of courage, the essence of courage is I trust in God. The essence of courage is my outward circumstance does not dictate how I live, but the very essence of courage is I trust in God. The very core of what courage is is God is big. And so when you're talking about Joshua and Caleb here, and Caleb's saying, We can certainly do it. How? He saw the same things that the other guy saw. But what Joshua was running movies of his mind in his mind of was, wait a minute. I remember what it was like when God literally destroyed the Egyptians, brought us out of Israel, took us to the Red Sea, opened up the waters. We walked through on dry land. The water came down and crushed the people that used to enslave us. Then food started coming from heaven. That was a good day. Water started coming from a rock. We needed to be able to see. We needed a nightlight. So God suddenly, poof, poof, there it is. And fire by night led us. We needed to know where to go during the day. So there was a pillar of cloud and God led us. Food from the heaven. Hold on a minute. And the essence of him saying, we can certainly do it, is not, have you seen my biceps? It was not, I'm a rock star. It was not, Moses, you know, you're pretty hip and a young, cool leader. And I think that you can do this. No, it was I have seen what God can do, we can certainly do it. I have beheld marvelous things with my own eyes, and I'm confident, not in ourselves, but in God. The core, the core thing that God then delights in is courage. You see it in the Bible, Psalm 36, David says, I will not fear the ten thousands drawn up against me on every side. Psalm 27, 3, David says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Psalm 46, 2. Therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. And that's kind of pretty, you know. We sing that song. We know, you know, though the mountains fall into the sea. But here's David going. Though the, I mean, though everything falls apart, I'm not going to fear. I, I can promise you, if. Pike's Peak suddenly fell into a pond because we don't really have lakes here, but somewhere it'd be easy for us to be like, "Ah," are we okay? But right here, David's saying nothing, nothing. The war break out against me, though there is all kinds of, I mean, natural disaster. I will not fear. And at the core of this is what John said in 1 John 4, 4, when the apostle of love who walked with Jesus, he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if that greater is inside of you, greater is God, greater is God than those gargantuan guys living in the promised land. Greater is God than the walls that keep the city safe around Jericho. Greater is our God than any river God. When that exists in our heart, when God is big in your heart, you become a man or a woman that starts to walk in courage because you start to have your eyes on God. If, if Caleb were to look at the boys, yo, Nabi, look at me. Hey, Shamua, shut up and listen. You see giants, I see a big God. You see walls, I see a big God. When you look at yourself, you see a grasshopper, so do I. No. (laughs) I see a mighty warrior. I see if God be for us, then who can be against us? Interestingly enough, when you continue in the story, Numbers 13, it says, verse 37, these men responsible for spreading the bad report. So the 10 spies, these men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. (laughs) Do you remember last week when my whole sermon was, God is big. This is that moment. Cowards. (laughs) Numbers 14, though, Joshua and Caleb, listen to what it says about Caleb. But because my servant Caleb, remember, we can certainly do it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. The 10, (laughs) dead kill the cowards. Caleb, he'll enter into the land. So what is Caleb's different spirit? It's courage, courage, courage. It's courage. How do I get courage? How do you get courage? Most of us spend so much of our time fixing our eyes on the world, fixing our eyes on stuff and giving God a little bit of our time and our attention and our worship and our prayer. But when our eyes are on God, much of the time, when, our, when we behold Him, when we spend time looking at God and figuring out who God is and what God is like and God is the creator and God is awesome and God is big and God lives above, above time and God is bigger than we can see, then all of a sudden everything starts to get the right perspective. And the primary way that you start to become a courageous man or a courageous woman, let me be real practical with you, be with God. Fix your eyes on God. Yesterday in DLA, we had Brett Hancock come talk to us. He talked about spending time with God and Reaching people, knowing the Bible. He gave us about 150 verses in about 60 minutes. You know why? You know why he has all those verses in him? Because he's been with God. When you've been with God, you can have courage. Because when you've been with God, you can look at any circumstance, and this may be difficult, but God. And that person may be persecuting me, but God. And that obstacle may look like it's in my way, but God. I know my God. I know who my God is. You want to know how to get courage? Have familiarity, Time encounter with God and you will become a man or a woman of courage. As you spend time with God, you become courageous over time. Acts 4.13, Sunday sermon from Brit. And when they saw the courage, what did they see? When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note, these men had been with Jesus. What was the thing that took place in Peter and John? What did people see that they went, those guys have been with God? Those guys have been with Jesus? What did they see in them? Was it, was it that they saw that they were really good at the religious tradition? No? Was it maybe? Maybe was it that they saw that they you know, they glowed. Mm. You know, like we always think, I'm gonna love people till they ask me why. Watch me glow. Aww. no, they didn't glow. It was something tangible. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, courage. Courage messes people up. When they see courage, they have to ask, what's the root? Where does that come from? Everybody lives such so insecure and without a purpose and a cause. But when someone has courage, this question that they ask, oh, take note. They've been with Jesus. The reason why Peter and John were courageous was because they had been with Jesus. Imagine Peter and John. Hey, if you want to throw me in prison, do what you have to. I cannot help but talk about what I've seen and heard. Why? Because I've seen and I've heard. I ate the fish and bread that he multiplied. <laughs> the 5,000 men and all the fam- Yeah, when we got done passing all that out, I ate a lot. I ate the, the fish and bread that Jesus multiplied. I reached out and I touched the scars after he was risen from the dead. I, 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 was, I was sinking in the water. I was walking on water, which was cool. And then I was sinking and he's the one that reached out his hand and he pulled me out. I'm not talking theory. I'm talking about my friend. I have tangible memories. I have a real understanding we used to walk together from city to city, go Capernaum, Bethany, Jerusalem. I walked with them on the streets. On the Mount of Transfiguration, I, I saw Moses and Elijah with them. I saw him. I watched him ascend into heaven. I was there. I'm not giving a testimony today out of vague. Clueless, I am the witness. I was there. I saw it. I was with him. Because they've been with him. They were with him. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. After the resurrection, they're with him again and he ascends into heaven. That produces some courage. You're like, we spent three years with this guy. He did everything he said he was going to do. His teachings baffled everybody. He did miracles, died on a cross, rose from the dead, came back, showed us the scars, started to ascend. We grabbed his ankles and said, please don't leave us. But he went anyway. Not really. I made that up. But it's tangible. They've been with Jesus. It was true of them and it's true with us. When you've been with Jesus, you will find yourself growing in courage. When you spend time worshiping God, the magnitude of who he is, you'll start to get stronger on the inside and be born more courageous. When you start to pray for the sick and you see someone healed, you'd be surprised how much more courage you have to pray for someone else to be healed. When you see one person's life change because you pray with them to come to know Jesus, they come to know Jesus, they get saved. You become more courageous to go to the next person on your campus and say, let me tell you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you spend time with God, when you pray, when you worship, when you fast, when you spend your summer consecrated unto God, you slowly over time develop courage. You say, David, it's nice, but I'm not one of the 12 spies going into the promised land. Why do I need courage? You know, I can be the American, be discipled by Larry boy type Christian and survive. Can have a cartoon Bible and go to youth group. One day, you know, maybe go pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go to a little Christian school and stay in a subculture, and hopefully, I can, you know, find a little spouse that I can marry that will be sweet, and we can go live on the farm, grow potatoes, and pray. And I can live. No, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's a false understanding of what it means to be a Christian. You cannot do that and be a Christian. You have been called to go take the land. You are called to be one that goes into the land. You actually have... You are one that goes out and checks it out. Matthew 28, Jesus' final commission was, "...you therefore," Jesus says, "...all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me." You therefore. John, Peter, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. Get that smirk off your face. You. You go into the world and make disciples. Of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That wasn't enough. Go into all the world. preach the gospel to all nations baptize them teach them to obey everything I've commanded you he says and surely I'm with you to the end of time I'm with you but you friend you've been given a commission it's your responsibility as a Christ follower yeah but I'm only 17 I'm only 15 years old I I don't have to think that way uh uh Yes, you do. Christ follower, Christ followers say, I'm obedient today. I'm obedient now. No, this is how we live. You have a land. You have a people that you're called to reach. You have a nation to reach. You know what your nation is? It's your campus. It's your school. Greatest privilege you have is to reach your school. Greatest opportunity you have. Some of you live like Shamua. Yeah, I don't know. There's lots of like secularism and, you know, in this postmodern age, I don't know if I really can. And I really feel like I offend a lot of people. And I don't know. I just... I kind of want to live in confusion so I can justify sin. I don't want to go preach the gospel cuz it's hard. I think I'd rather be a shamua. Friends, you don't get that privilege. Not in this house. We're going to be Christ followers. We're going to do it with everything that we have. We're going to be obedient with everything that we have. And that means that we go into our worlds and we make disciples with all that we have. You're called to be a Caleb. Surely we can do it. Yeah, but nobody comes with me when I pray. Stay steady. Yeah, but I've shared the gospel to four people and all of them made fun of me. Shut up. That's your privilege. That's your joy. That's your opportunity. That's what Christianity is. Awesome. Awesome. Can you imagine? Read through Revelation and every time that someone's persecuted, put your name in there. And you'll be like, persecution, bring it on want it it's your persecution is your friend put that on a t-shirt <laughs> it's your friend it's your it's it's your great privilege you don't walk into your campus and be like i don't know these people are skeptical and there's other religions and too hard. You don't get that privilege. I promise you, I promise you when the 12 spies went in, I promise you Joshua and Caleb weren't sitting there going, oh, we can do this. Oh yeah. You and me. Uh Uh-huh. No problem. We got it. It wasn't a look at me. I got it. It was a holy cabooses, Cornelius. We're going to need God, but this is our inheritance. This is why God led us out of Egypt. This is, this is the God who answers by fire. This is the God who sends fire to lead us in the night. This is the God who literally leads us with a pillar of cloud. This is the God who brought us out of, the, out of Egypt. I mean, helped us go across the Red Sea. This is the God who sends food every day from heaven. Huh. Well, we may be small in our own eyes, but let us tell you who our God is. We can certainly do it. Of course we can do it. We can take the land, your campus, every one of you. It's your joy. 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. Your campus is your mission. It is your nation right now. Right now, now, your parents aren't going to let you be like, hey, I'm 13 and I'd like to move to Baghdad. It's not going to happen. You're here. (laughs) So you know what that means? That means that your mission is right here, right now. The the, the, the quest to be obedient 100% unto Jesus is, Jesus, I want to make disciples right here, right now, and you've got an opportunity on your campus. Take the land. It is, the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that it's his desire that none should perish. None on your campus It's his desire that everyone on your campus come to repentance. It's God's desire that you be the shining light of salvation on your campus, you, now. That's your joy. That's your privilege. And I know our culture says, wait a minute. No, this is your time to engage in far too many hobbies This is your opportunity to try to be a local celebrity as an athlete and devote all your time to that. And this is your time to put every bit of energy into your studies. And this is your time to become the vice president of German club. And this is your time to be the cheerleader and you'll never get to be a cheerleader again. So go spend all your time being a cheerleader and fill up your life with tons and tons of hobbies. And I tell you this, that's nowhere in the Bible. It does not say during the teen years, fill up your time with hobbies so that American kids don't do bad things. No. You want to know the quickest way to stop doing bad things? It's not to consume your life with every club at school and every sport and every way to try. No, set yourself on fire and let the world come and watch you burn. Go into the world and make disciples of every tongue, tribe, and nation. Live with such vision for your campus that on the days that you have time there, you're going to make sure that as many as possible make it. That as many as possible see the brightness and the grandeur and the splendor of Jesus. The best sport, the best hobby, the best club that you can give yourself to is in these four years on this high school, I'm going to make sure that as many kids on my campus know God. And that takes a countercultural person. You'll be mocked, you'll be made fun of. Many people will say, Come on. No, it is our joy. It is our joy. And if you lock in with that in those years, it will give you strength in your college years. It will give you strength in your twenties. You'll be so identified in your own heart as a Jesus lover. You won't get to college and be like, I'm a grasshopper. Forget it. No, you'll be I'm a warrior. And I've seen God do it in seventh grade. And I've seen God do it in ninth grade. And I saw God do it my senior year of high school. And I've seen God do it in my college years. And I saw him do it in my twenties. And it just seems like as long as I go full throttle, that I keep living with the sense of he is big. And no matter what mission he gives me, certainly we can do it. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.